We got somebody here. Who's here? Hey, Blockchain DXP entered the live studio. Well, call in if you feel like. Uh, certainly, we're going to be talking about some blockchain. Um, and uh, looks like we are also on CastBox. Yay. All right, so let me give you the rundown one last time. Right here in San Leandro, this is where we shelter in play. It's part of our Building Autonomous Collaborative Organizational Networks, or BACON, initiative. And the skate patch is a safe place. It's free, and the self-delusions, the collective illusions, and abound. Our political stance informs us that we are humans. We all share the same subjective destination, the final exit. Where the absolute uncertainty of anything outside of our collective journey is the one thing we can be certain of, guaranteed. The Spree Service Corps is made up of myself, my partner, and a couple of genuine friends. Uh, we share knowledge about how tough living can be and the lessons we learn along the way. So we choose to shelter and play betting that how we interact with each other while learning to accept ourselves right now is the most truly complete frontier we can, all of us, explore to our heart's content. Got it? Each of us is working on many planned projects that seek to empower, encourage, educate, and explore our modern social spaces. We want to share what we know and learn with you. And we want others to join us in our effort. Our region ice Bacon University, which is now known as the Escape Hatch U, is both a remote and in-person portable mentor school that we can see as a resource that those knowledgeable folks across the vast social space of the planet can hold weekend and day workshops to share their knowledge and skills with those that have a passion. Hey, Armin, have a passion for learning whether it's mechanics, art, animation, carpentry, flint napping, storytelling, or cat herding, we have a platform where you can be the hero of your own life's journey through the many small and repeated kindnesses we show each other. In those small daily and weekly engagements that we find ourselves in a day where we're gathered around marveling at how those trivial things added up over our time together to equal the perfect hero, you. And we're a fledgling corps that is looking to fill out the Escape Hatch Central with its contingent of not more than 13 pilgrims. And we each work on our own different projects, but are tying together through the escape in service to the collective. My own project is a choose-your-own-adventure narrative for comics, cartoons, and feature film called The Crux, based on Plato's allegory of the cave. Historical Dora the Explorer, for those 13 and up, an opportunity for people the world over. Hey, Hannah. Good morning. The world over to suggest characters, plot endings, or twists, and be part of the collective story of us. Also looking at uh, some NFT capability that uh, would enable us to tailor that choose-your-own-adventure story into a unique story that only you get to experience. But we're still quite a ways from that. Maybe by the end of the year, we'll get a go launch. So point being is it's an opportunity for people the world over to suggest characters and, and engage, right? And get to know their story and how it connects to the collective, the whole. If we can't understand how we got here through those who preceded us, how can we inform our future of where we are going other than extinction? 
So, for my opener, I just want to remind y'all, let's not sacrifice our collective future on the grave of our collective past in the present. Instead, let's allow each other the opportunities to experience and know what happens to one of us affects all of us. Hey, Morrison. Cool. We got some people on both uh, Podbean and on Castbox and on Facebook and several other uh, avenues. So I'm sorry I don't have the comments turned on on all of these at the moment. <clears throat> but I digress. Last time we got to talk it was on Sunday evening. That was very apropos considering Tuesday, or sorry, considering earlier the day before was. Four, three, two, one. I liked it. <clears throat> Pardon me, because it was it was a uh, countdown. A countdown to what? Well, my middle name happens to be Pascal, which is Passover. I like to think it was a countdown to my day. Why not? So let's go over a couple of things that I thought you might find interesting, at least. Uh, in the short term and one of those things is what i've been working on it's about inherent value inherent value i want you to just think about this for a minute and anybody wants to call in feel free to call in but inherent value it's an idea that an asset oh god are we running low again uh, yeah this i already saved this computer from shutting down once and here it is about to shut down again. Lucky us. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm just put too many strains on my system out here in the daylight. That's that's what it is. Because usually I'm, I had moved my studio indoors, and I'm obviously not indoors right now. Am I? Nope, not indoors. Oh, is it this cable? It might be this cable. That would suck. There we go. Oh, we got power. Come on. You can do it. I know. I believe in you. Come on. Somebody, somebody's click their heels together. Come on with me. There's no place like a ski patch. There's no place like a ski patch. We can do it. There we go. Oh, we have power. I'm not going to move. <sighs> Hot dogs and french fries. That's deserving of a little uh, little burner here. See this thing? Oh, this is great. Oh, this is for the people who are watching. That's a lot of play, right? This is actually for my paintings. I, I work in old pastels, and uh, this is the best torch I've ever found. I didn't even know I was into torches. And that people you would hear was going to be uh, the first of many people who are going to be going to work. Yes, yes. Many people going to work, just like I am here at work. And let's just kind of move right along. We were talking about value. Oh, hey. Uh, sorry, I don't know. 
uh, Arabic, but I do have a friend from Egypt. He's teaching me. So, salam, salam. How's that? Does that work? <laughs> okay, we're talking about value. And Alicia, wow. I guess y'all can hear me just fine, yeah? No answers? Mm-hmm. Okay, again. Ooh. Yeah, this is... Wow. Yeah, we got a lot of people here. Good morning. So, we were talking about value. Values where people are missing an underlying point. Take Bitcoin, for example. Bitcoin is a digital Molotov cocktail to the economic system. Ooh, I lost a whole bunch of people there. But not everyone understands the fundamental why or how. Nothing has inherent value. Not an asset, not a commodity. The only way anything gains value is when we value it. Agreed? Therefore, value is not an external concept. If it were, that would mean there could be such a thing as a worthless human. Since there can never be a worthless human, the premise is false. Okay? So that's where we're at on value. Well, value isn't the only thing that we're going to be talking about. Uh, <laughs> whoa. The one that I really enjoyed getting out today. Now, there was a, I engaged with a lot of the Christian community on Quora.com. Uh, hello? Hello? you hear me? Can anybody hear me? I know, it's kind of going off the rails here. Uh, hello? Uh, just, I can't say something. Hello? Sound bit good? Please give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. This is my check. I'll take your check in cash. No. Um, four messages. I don't see four messages. Where are four messages? Huh. Okay. So I engage with a lot of the Christian community. Really enjoy it. Mainly because I it's, I just look. I can't walk by somebody who's essentially drowning and not like reach down and help pick them up or, or rescue them, especially if they don't know how to swim. Um, and the problem that I've been seeing is like there's so many out there who don't have truth. So the one thing the escape patch is absolutely about is truth. So as far as business is going, our truth is that we're all going to die, but not just merely accepting it, but understanding it. And let me let me give you, let me tell you what I, I told uh, someone earlier today. Is it here and understand the struggle that you speak? However, like iron sharpens iron. I must supply some constructive feedback about the errors in logic within the case, right? This guy made the case that free will was illusion because he couldn't find it anywhere in the Bible. Now, I'm not a Bible thumper. I noticed a whole bunch of people went, oh, no, Bible, ran. The ones who stayed, all were the right ones. I'm not religious. I believe in logic. And I believe it's loving to, to use logic. It's the most loving thing I can do and safe and efficient thing I can do for myself and others. So safety is paramount. But in college, I started looking for what unified all the religions, all the spiritual practices, and I found it. It's right in front of our face. Simple as pie. So here we go. He said free will is an illusion. What do you think? Do you think free will is an illusion? 
you might think free will is an illusion, huh? Well, fact is, is everything is an illusion. For humans, if there's nobody here on the planet to think up these concepts, then, then of course, there are illusions made by us. Let me ask you this. This is one I love people leave me to go. If a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? The answer is no, it doesn't make a sound if there's no human there to witness it because it is a human concept. There's no bears, there's no fish, there's no birds out there going, ooh, I heard that tree go down. It made a loud sound. They don't think in those terms. Completely different. <laughs> so I move on. So also be aware of my desire to be open and transparent and exact and unbiased. Some of these posts can get a little wandry, but uh, they do come back around. And they can be extensive, but they're complete. So here's my position, clearly and up front. Relationship with whom most people call God, that I refer to publicly and refer to as GD to differentiate between the unconditionally loving thing or being with agency whom I know so well, and the projected God of Earth that requires tithes and must be feared and respected and obeyed, and of whom I prefer to call love. So in spiritual matters, this is how I differentiate. We're going to go over some terms here. Okay, here's the terms and context. Spiritual is a projected, emotional, illogical stance. Logical is an unconditional, should be an unconditionally loving, objective, descriptive understanding of agency and compassionately supportive alignment the most compassionately supportive alignment we can have with deity logical now god god the emotional projection of our inner logic to an external audience and gd is the logical projection of our inner emotions to an external audience oh i can't wait to get some music going and stuff here too either well, I can have some music right here. I had music, no background, audio effects. Mm. Ooh, that was Trey Loud. I didn't like that at all. Huh, I need something to turn me up after that. Since, so much, since nobody's calling in. <laughs> Good morning, we got some laughter there. Ha ha, it's like Bob and Bill and Bob and Ted show. Can't remember what Here we go. Physics. I like physics. It's my favorite topic. Search for meaning and understanding in our environment, of our environment, through the use of scientific and mathematical investigative processes. Following me on these terms? Next one. Truth of human life. Now, the truth of human life is the unifying, experiential, irrefutable fact of our individual and collective human experience of being alive. If one is alive, they must necessarily expect to eventually die. Next, waking up. The process of coming to knowledge of, then accepting the inevitability of our own mortality, despite there being no known ex existent evidence that can ever be produced that can withstand a scientific investigative process, which could prove any certainty ever. Next. Yes, yes, I'm nearing airport too. 
Welcome to my life. It's a great life. It's better than death, as far as I know. Earth Garden. The concept of the Garden of Eden, in that it didn't pass away. Earth is it, and we are tasked with being its caretakers. Now, the Garden of Eden this is one of my favorite topics. Anybody wants to call in on this, we can have endless, endless discussions on this. But I propose that the Garden of Eden is a metaphorical story illustrating how, when our knowledge surpassed our understanding, yet we then knew that the earth, our garden, would eventually pass away. No matter our efforts, much like when we first know our own mortality, we became collectively despondent, refusing to recognize ourselves in any garden. In effect, we went collectively goth or emo in modern parlance. We became ashamed of our inability to save what we loved. Therefore, we began to experience guilt. Then, in anger at being given what we perceived was a futile task because our understanding was not equal to our knowledge. We began to believe the uh, weak link was in our ability to figure it out. Therefore, because we could not love ourselves, since we were obviously worthless, we were cast out, get out of the garden by the death we now knew of. Following the gaining of knowledge, we began to wander the garden, now referred to as Earth collectively. All human concepts in history really are illusions, and they're illusions that we agree upon, much like the illusion of economy or self. Yet we operate with them. Concepts like imaginary numbers, which are used to complete an equation as a stand-in, as it were, for insufficient understanding of any particular process, yet still have a partial understanding of. In any case, guilt consumed us in insufficient self-worth. Thereby we, thereby, we lost sight of our internal lives. Right? The internal concepts, as all concepts must be, as well as any concept of a garden. So what's, that's the next term. Next term is the Old Testament. Wait, hold on. <clears throat> the Old Testament. Ortina Talmud. It's a collection of philosophical opinions that are exclusively born of the context of the Hebrew people. As a religious text, and therefore not beholden to logic or the need to be factually accurate in any objective sense, it is still much an active asset within any religious tradition. However, it, it is not yet understood within a human collective framework, which would categorize it as a part of the story of collective self-awareness. Closely, Alignment with the Kabbalistic, and that's deep Hebrew or spirituality concept that arises out of the Zohar, or collective rabbinical works collected over time. Of all creation was merely a mirror upon which the divine can contemplate or know itself, which I shall refer to it by its conceptual understanding under the name Kabbalah gives it, which is 
Adam Gadmon. K-A-D-M-O-N. Next one, we got the New Testament. <clears throat> the New Testament be assumed to be historical. I say this because as a historian, anthropologist, and sociologist. How do, you, how do you like the voices? Come on. Nobody's calling in. So I figured the uh, voices would work. Okay, back, back to my sorry. Let me get back in character. I say this because as a historian, anthropologist, and sociologist, it does not meet any vigorous definition of historical confirmation usually needed for anything regarded as historical nonfiction publication. The only potential near contemporary reference is a prophetic to a prophetic and reform minded rabbi named Yahshua or Yahashua in the Galilean dialect, Ben Yosef the son of Mary, who was potentially a proponent of the Essene school of Judaic thought, and though and through which Yeshua would have claimed to be a descendant of King David. Additionally, and interestingly, that potential legitimate claim appeared to have wavered between Yahshua and his brother James. I was unsure of his Hebrew name just now. Depending upon who held sway of the Sanhedrin, that was the metric that dictated whether or not it was one of the or the other the brothers. And Joseph, who also might have been in the scene as well. What were these scenes? The scenes were hippies, basically, of the Jewish people. And Sadducees, Pharisees, and Seeds. So, yeah, my history, I went diving. I went on a deep dive trying to find this character. And I did not find him, but I found lots of references. Uh, so when I go on a dive historically, I always typically look for three source references, hopefully more vetable and confirmable than others. And uh, with the three resources, I try and find contemporary sources that can confirm uh, or add more credence to the likelihood that a story that's made it through history is plausible. And then I hold it up to Occam's razor, which is the principle that uh, given two situations, the simplest one is probably the more correct. So here we go. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> what voice should I do here? I think I'll de droopy dog. Yes, I'll de droopy dog. Jesus Christ. The created fictional person that obscures the true historical rabbi who looked to reform the Jewish spiritual philosophy. It's a fictional person. Jupy <laughs> dog. Jupy. I'm having to get into character here. Uh, it's a fictional person that reflects what the Council of Nicaea decided in the 4th century to include in the collection of works that together made up the Bible. <laughs> that could get old quick. Let me try this. A hill, a hill, a lion for the creation, a uniform orthodoxy of doctrinal beliefs, as well as the practice of declaring anything outside of approved doctrine heretical. <laughs> Historically, this <laughs> occurred shortly before the sacking of Rome by Alaric the Visigoth on many tens of thousands of migrants. Immigrant people who'd been blocked 
at the national border of Rome. Now, the Visigoths, who were one of the many groups that saw entry or into or passage through Rome, and who had previously been trying to gain either citizenship as Romans or safe passage through Rome. Much of the Roman army had become filled with these folks already and made up the vast majority of the Roman auxiliaries and, and, and the Roman army in the empire. So non-Roman immigrants and non-Roman citizens, uh, they, they were all over the place. They were, they were seeking and gaining opportunity. However, natural-born Romans had an extensive opposition movement to allowing so many non-Romans to become citizens of Rome. They believed that these people were diluting Roman culture, traditions, and blood. So by the time the Alaric rushed past the border to sack Rome, there was a considerable amount of bias against non-Romans throughout the empire. Now, does this sound familiar at all? By the way, this is my writing. That's why I'm not uh, giving you my bona fides of who wrote it. I wrote it. It's believed that a Roman soldier... Many have said this. Roman soldier centurion, or a group of them, harassed the would-be immigrants of the border in their hardship to the point that the supplicants for citizenship said, screw this, I've had enough, and became the conquerors, you know. So despite the sack of Rome, the Eastern Empire, centered on Constantinople and named after Constantine the Great, who also commissioned the Council of Nicaea after he claimed to discern a vision and claimed that in this vision, he was told if he put the cross of Yasua, the cross that he was crucified on, on his shields, on the shields of his soldiers, then he would win the battle. And he did, he won. So he asked the bishops to appoint an Orthodox canon, so he would he could administer making Christianity the official empirical religion. The thing is... You know, deity of love is not going to be a god of war. Yasuo found a different kind of uh, deity, one that he had a personal relationship within himself. I imagine he would never condone any battle whatsoever because we are all creations of deity in the stance, in the context of said divine. And this, this should sound all familiar. It brings me to my next term, prophecy. <laughs> okay, hold on. For the video, folks, let me, let me see if I can look prophetic. Pulling my beard out. I look crazy. Here we go. Prophecy, the attempt to communicate the discerned patterns within human behavior and history. It has the appearance of being given by divinity. Now, see, I have a logical stance that proposes that much prophecy is the early manifestations of visionaries, as outlined in the modern book, Rocket Fuel, who, in this book, attempted to pass on or explain the meta-patterns. So prophets trying to pass on the meta-patterns that they were perceiving in a way that could be understood and followed. So, as a side note here, Rocket Fuel is a, it's a how-to book of business and capitalist economic hopes. Uh, keep 
It keeps that every visionary needs an integrator who can aid in communicating the patterns accompanied by the visionary. Examples of this are Roy and Walt Disney, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, Henry Ford and his integrator. And I, I can further point to ancient uh, examples. I would say Moses and Aaron, uh, Yasua and Judas. He, was, he held the money and uh, the other one did the accounting, did the books. Modern example, my hypothesis, would be the clear and frightening alignment of biblical times in modern American society. The U.S. being more like Rome, evangelicals being more like Pharisees and Sadducees, and the original gospel of love being what I put forth along with others around the globe, whatever you tend to refer to us as. Now, the Jews were awaiting the Messiah to throw a world mount and set up a holy kingdom on earth. They got Yahshua. Now, if there wasn't, it hadn't been a Paul, Paul realizing opportunity and needing to get a new life going for, uh, it sure seems like he probably upset some people and his zealous killing of Jews who did not align with the strict orthodoxy. So he whipped up an unknown philosophy, relatively unknown, uh, which we may never have known had he not. And he whipped it into one of the main three existent religions that are based on the concept of a monotheistic deity. Now, apocalyptic Christians seek a return of the Messiah in the clouds and don't recognize the message of said Messiah, <laughs> the gospel of love, as it circulates unrecognized prior to this post uh, through the digital clouds. Now, that's ironic, yeah? I often wondered how and why they would say that someone with wisdom would know such a thing or such and such in the, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Those who have wisdom, let them figure it out. <laughs> well, what, why? How? What were they trying to figure out? I couldn't understand if it's being handed down from on high. What is there to figure out? However, as a pattern of historical human behavior, which as a proponent of applied anthropology that I am, and I study, it makes logical sense. It forms one of the base patterns upon which I inform my objective human collective, a product of subjective human knowledge becoming accepted and understood by the collective. It's a paper I'm working on. Another one is the collective understanding. Are we part of a larger meta-human consciousness whose growth and maturity can be historically measured through the collective analysis of all human religions? Okay, enough of that. Here's my response now that you have some context, some terms. Hey, Fatima. Oh, did somebody give me a message? Hello? Oh, yes. I'm not hearing my Alex brother. Are you my Alex brother? I'm finding my brother on podcast. Oh, did somebody, what's this going on here? My Alex brother. Uh, okay. Well, I've got somebody listening. Good morning. Somebody's giving me hearts on the uh, odd bean. Uh, thank you very much. I don't know why I couldn't get those uh, messages before. Let's see. Is anybody talking over here? Fatima? No. Anna, I thought you'd be tearing me up. Okay. Here we go. Back into it. You ready? We're going to have some fun, too. I got, I got some fun stuff to read, too. Okay. 
All concepts are illusions from a logical standpoint. Free will is what defines our understanding of being pressed in the image of a of God, right? In our lives, when we engage in loving relationships, we don't issue ultimatums saying that it is reality, sorry, especially because we cannot confirm the existence of heaven or hell. And the Jews of biblical times were not sold on the idea of a soul at all. In the word for hell, referred to a communal spot where the dead bodies were burned. As such, the reference to hell might not mean what scholars might have imagined. I mean, look, men wrote the Bible in different languages over 2,000 years ago. I do ascribe to the idea that if we were to have 10 concepts of a divinity, the loving one is the one that we would want, simply because it's the safest and most efficient concept that will ensure the most benefit for the broadest possible human demographic that will penetrate the deepest. And that is love. Uh, and yes, I do use part of the scripture if I'm talking to Christianity. And I am. I have explored Buddhism. I have explored New Age philosophy. I, I even I even did the Celestine prophecy. Does anybody get by a show of hands? How many of y'all out there did the Celestine prophecy? Yeah. Did you also sell Amway? I sold Amway. Why did I sell Amway? I have no idea why I sold Amway. Nobody should sell Amway. It's just not right. Should not do it. So, back to where we were at. One new message. I wish I could see these messages. Okay. Anyway. So, they wrote it 2,000 years ago. Love. That's what it's all about. As it says, if it's not love, it's not God. For God is love. Either you believe in a God of love or you do not. Because I'm here to tell you, from all standpoints, the unconditional love I know is not found in any man-assigned religious searches for the divine. Neither is love found in the strict, literal use of the Bible. The path is born of fear, that path. If you want to know love, you first have to accept truth. Actually, it doesn't matter what philosophy, spiritual or otherwise, that you ascribe to. Everyone needs truth. Truth is irrespective of your religious stance or background. It, it's, it, it's subjective. It's a single experience. The truth is you're going to die. And a loving God would never give you illusions to comfort you that were false because when you die those illusions will vanish before the absolute and I mean absolute reality that we now can never ever know of anything that awaits us beyond death can you imagine how scared and angry you would be when faced with the fact that death is before you and you were unprepared and uncertain that the illusions you were given vanish in the, in the sunlight or the darkness of death, I should say. Exactly. Who wouldn't be? Can you envision the, those folks freezing? I can envision folks getting there with these illusions. Where's my angels? Where's my relatives? Where's my dog? Nobody shows up. <laughs> I, that's a terror I don't even want to think about. I'm prepared. I mean, I would, I would freeze. I'd rather freeze in place than, than go through that door at that point. I mean, the worst earworm known is fear. And the worst fear is the unknown. 
And guess what? We cannot know if there is an afterlife. The loving thing to do, if we can know, the loving thing to do for yourself and others is to accept that fact. Then despite the uncertainty, choose to live aware and awake now. It's my firm belief that the experience that after I found an accepted truth, I found love again. And it's my belief that that will be your experience as well. Why? Because death and birth are what join us together as human beings. I can't remember my birth, but I, I have to think that we would react similarly uh, to similar stimulus. Yasuo could, and, and that's why he focused on being born again, right? As for myself, I call and can envision my own death, which is why I say accept your death. The true path is the path that comforts you, gives you the truth no matter how uncomfortable, then lets you choose how you're going to live your life. Love in that regard dictates that like the prodigal son, like the prodigal son's father, did not judge or accuse or guilt his son anywhere along the line of his growth, neither will the correct loving God, GD, love, Allah, Buddha, or other named concept. And anything rooted in fear is never a strategy that includes everyone, as it exerts power to keep wherever the concept is that feels best and most safe to it. Anything rooted in love will never exert power over anyone's agency because it will always allow for agency and understand that home is wherever you keep your love within you, not where you hang your hat. Home is the love within, accepted and known, a love that allows you to perceive the outside world as humanely navigable and manageable, wonderful and beautiful and hopeful curious to go explore your garden in waiting it says we don't have to live in fear the absolute uncertainty that we can embrace that uncertainty choose to be our best selves anyway and then just release the fear whenever our urge to explain or to over explain or complicate anything strikes we can ground ourselves upon the bedrock of truth that we build in our inner and outer lives. We can choose to be pilgrims through the adventure that is life being present for ourselves, to others, and to be the caretakers for our planet, which is, it seems, it's what we're meant to do. Respectfully submitted, Adrian P.Y. Blumber, Pilgrim on Point. Now, for a little break, I'm going to give you a little bit of a fun thing. Oh, yeah, I can. So this is what happens when you allow yourself. I've been playing it a couple of times. But here we go. I don't know if you can hear it. Let's see if I can get it over here on Podbean. It's one of my favorite recordings called Inspector Gadget. I recorded it out in the desert. I wasn't going to record it, but I was walking by this guy. He was beatboxing late at night, and I was like, what? I walked by, 
And then I reached into my pocket and I had a, a, a digital recorder. I was like, all right, I'm going to turn around and go interview this guy. And uh, this is what happened. Yeah, what, what, do you, uh, what do you want to hear? Anything you want to lay down? Hopefully not too loud. Anything I want to lay down. Lay down. Because, you're on the fly. I've been, do whatever I've been, you want. I've been trying to like steer away from the usual like... There we go. Because it's just, it's so like, it, it just kind of stays the same thing. So I like... You, like, you got I like, that internal rhythm there. Exactly. Oh, that internal melody that's so easy oh, to go to that I don't step outside of it's kind of my comfort zone you know so i like people telling me like give me a song patient, you kind of want me Sick of patient. Sick of patient. what what song do you See, want were like, you looking for words or what you know i used to do you like do you like do you like inspector gadget inspector gadget how about uh you're, you're taking requests <laughs> Now this whole time he's looking at me, like he expects me to do something, I don't know what I mean. He had no idea what he needed me to do, but he looked like he really wanted me to jump in a lot. Yeah, what, what do you uh, what do you want to hear? Anything you want to lay down? Anything I want to lay down? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite moments. That's when I really like learned to go with the flow. I really like experience what was happening around me instead of being stuck in my head. How many of y'all are stuck in your head? 
many of y'all have missed opportunities? And the thing about going to an event like Burning Man, Burning Man sucks. <laughs> if Burning Man sucks, because it is, it is not easy to look in the mirror. And that's what, that's what, when we engage in social settings, that's what we're doing is we're looking at ourselves by the reactions that we see and witness and experience in others. It's reflected back on us. And, and when that happens, especially in a place like Burning Man, the first several years were the most intense because there was no cell phone, there were no Wi-Fi connections. Let me tell you, it's not easy learning the lessons you must learn because you. I was too busy trying to learn the lessons I thought I needed to learn. Every burn, every burn, I'd be done with burning it. Never going back again. Hate this place. Oh my God, people are butt ahead. And then I would sit with what had happened and I would meditate on it and realize that I was the one who created the situations. I allowed them to be blaming it on others. It's pointless because I have control over my own agency, just like you do. Does that mean I'm blaming the victim? Hell no. I'm not blaming a victim for being victimized, but what I am saying is that if you can learn to identify those things, those situations that you have a weakness for, one way or the other, that pull you in and you end up getting harmed and damaged from, that's a good lesson to learn. Anybody got any thoughts on that? Hmm. Uh, okay, I'm going to read something that's a little bit more humorous. And then I'm going to yell with something at least a little more enjoyable before I go. Before I do that, I'm going to put in a little music while I queue up this last bit. This, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to read a short story that's funny. And then I'm going to read a nice fictional short story called The Boy in the Room. Okay? Here we go. I'm going to give you the music, okay? Give it all to you, man. Oh, no. Okay, <laughs> hard this thing. Here we go. Here we go. We're going to do uh, this. Nope, nope. There we go. Here comes the music. Be right back.
There we go. Oh yeah. Oh no, we don't. We don't want it again. We don't want it again. No. So I'm gonna give y'all an exclusive. We're gonna love this. An exclusive is a short story I've been working on. Have to retool it. It's not the boy in the room. I don't know if you've heard that. Maybe if I get requests and some people want to hear that, I'd be happy to read that for you. This is called Bovine Bob. It's not finished, but I'm going to read you what I have. <clears throat> Bovine Bob finally finds his voice. Okay. Written, illustrated, and narrated by Adrian P. Weinfeldberg. Another day in the field with wonderfully green tasting grass. The sun was setting in the distance, a glowing red ball, crowned with strings of melted gold filaments as it extinguished in the darkness as pastures just beginning to blossom in violets and maroons and various pinks and yellows. A sting pinched at bovine Bob's rear haunch and he instinctively swatted at it with his tail, looked at his rump, delicious grass hanging from his chewing jaw, allowing Bob to catch a glimpse of the sun as it gave up its life in a slice of Earth's horizon. Hmm, another gorgeous day, sun going out on the Earth unforgiving in sharpness, sliced away into all those pretty colors till the next sun makes its appearance, Bob thought. He was an average bull, and his herd never made much of a fuss. He kept himself at most things as good cattle ought to do. He turned back to gather up the last of the day's victuals before he headed back to bed down with the rest of the herd in clumps, as they did for the night. As he lowered his head to a particularly colorful patch of blades that were buried under some Member of the herd's old chewed up and discarded Eatons, he noticed something popping out of it. Looked like some shrooms that often dot the fields after a moist evening or morning. Not a lot of them, in fact, but Bob didn't mind. They usually just added a nice flavor to the bills he was eating, even though every once in a while they could get right bitter tasting. These were not. They actually made the grasses that they were buying on taste wonderful. He pondered this as he turned and made his way back to the herd sleeping place, which would be getting fairly dark once he made it there. By the time he was about to pop down on his favorite spot, Bob was beginning to see a spectrum of colors. Spectrum? What's that word doing in my head? How do I know what it means? Whoa! And that last thought echoed 
and split into layers of thoughts, bumping into each other as they turned into the herd of his youth when he was just a calf. Before his mom and pa had taken the journey with the handlers to join the big herd in the big field, his memory was much more vibrant than any time he ever thought about those days that had gone before. Echoing sounds crisscrossing and becoming visible themselves. He again watched the handlers, hey ya, and there, there, that away, his mom and pa under the boxes to take him to join the big herd. At this time, he popped out of his calf self and into his mom's head. The box that they were in had slits for Ma to see out of, and it was a big crowd and uncomfortable. An interminable amount of time passed, and Ma, Pa, and the others were trying to get a hold of the handlers to let them know of their discomfort. The movements of the box was making a couple of Ma's stomachs woozy. The box stopped jostling, then opened, and the handlers were, Come on, y'all, here, and here, here, and by the way, that that noise you're in the background, that's a lady who loves to get all the cans out of all the trash cans. She digs in, I'm sure, each time this week. So I apologize, but that's a byproduct of being outside. Back to the story. The box stopped jostling, then opened, and the handlers were, Come on, y'all, here, here, here. Suddenly, Bob's view shifted. He was in Pa's head now. Ma had just entered a larger box ahead of Pa, and Pa could kind of make movement out inside of it. Pa was dreadfully confused as to where they all were. This didn't look like a large pasture at all. Pa was getting very anxious and crowded in by the others. Some of them were trying to ask the handlers questions direct. The handlers didn't seem to notice or respond. I had just made it through the opening of the large box and could just make out, no, I didn't make sense. What would cattle be doing with their hooves in the air? What were those horrible cries from the ones ahead? Paul thought. Then Paul got a real good look at the ones ahead and Paul's mind just went white with fear, confusion, and horror. Bob was mooing all night right bothering all the cattle near him. Some had to move away to have any hope of sleep whatsoever. Whatever Bob was dreaming, it was unusual for those who were near him commented to each other that was sure as milking in the morning for the milk cows. Bob woke with his head, feeling like he had licked far too much salt the day before, like he had been kicked hard in the head by another member of the herd. It took him a while to be able to get his legs under himself to stand, and his legs were shaky. One of the handlers took notice of Bob's trouble getting up and was beginning to come over to him, a thing that would normally have been a welcome thing to occur, but this time Bob shivered from the top of his dome down to the start of his tail. He also started moving quickly, to forestall the handler, placing a hand on him. He half walked, half ran to join the others. When he caught up, and finally falling into a regular gait, he settled into the comforting walk into the fields. That was a nice regular routine he could easily fall into. He began to listen to the 
normal morning chatter that was the staple of the herd when they came out to the fields for the day. Francine said she heard Betsy tell Georgine that she heard Marla say she had overheard the rancher's daughter say we were going to be taken to the big field to join the big herd at the end of this week, said Claudette matter-of-factly. Bob's limbs stiffened, and after a moment he was compelled to speak up. Oh, we shouldn't get in the boxes then. He had more than spoken up. He had darn near shouted it out. Handlers are going to take us to a, a, another larger box where they are going to, to a... Bob shuddered. He couldn't help it. Then he continued. They're going to kill us and eat us. His statement echoed over the herd, making his head hurt even more. Felt like he was getting kicked by several bulls now, and barely registered that many of the herd around him had stopped moving and were looking at him like he had just turned inside out, was standing in front of them with his insides on his outsides. What was I hit? Who's talking crazy talk? Did somebody just say something about the handlers killing us? An annoyed loud bleep stopped everything. Bob! Bob! That's not how the story goes. One of the cows up front snorted after speaking as if she had smelled the worst thing ever. Bovine Bob was suddenly confused, losing his place in the story. Bob, you know, that is how the old story goes. So much has changed since the old days. Why are you telling them the old story? Are you trying to scare the dickens out of the poor calves? Said Frank. From just past the edge of the semicircle of calves. Bob was truly befuddled. He couldn't figure where he was at. He wasn't sure exactly what he had done wrong. The handler buzzed almost silently, buzzed almost silently from beyond the edge of the semicircle of calves. Its mechanical whirring and ever present sound had most forgot it was there. The calves were getting up here and there and beginning to wander off into the field to eat. He'd lost the story entire now, and the first tree of bleeding and the young ones threw off where he had been in the story to begin with. Uh, but, um, wait, I, I, I can get back to the story. Bovine Frank followed up to Bob and said, Bob, just what was gotten into you lately? The last couple of days, you hadn't been able to get a story out straight. You keep getting into these horrible ruts. Where the old school handlers are out to kill us all need us. Just what is all that about? Hell, Bob, we haven't even seen a human handler since just after we were calves ourselves. These ones here don't even really understand what you mean when you have them and say old school and handler. Hey, ya, uh, human talking like back when we were little. I don't know, Frank. I've been having the worst dreams lately. Well, ain't, but I'm just, I, well, it ain't helping nothing when you go off script like that. You're plumb going to frighten them, so as the right ones who graduate, they won't actually want to go to the big field. Is, is there just reward for doing everything they were supposed to do right? And that is the J-O-B of those of us failures who get stuck with helping to raise the calves. Well, that's the end of that story so far. Well, tell me what you uh, think of the story, if you like it and enjoyed it. When you hear more of it, I'm happy to do more. <laughs>
I like writing weird stories. That's just how I am. And with that, I guess it's time to sign off. This was a fun experiment. Playing with my first multi-live cast. So unbeknownst to many of you listeners, I am also doing a video. So if you want to see my beautiful hairy face, uh, you can pop on over to Twitch or YouTube or where else? A lot of other places. I'll be loading up the uh, video to just about anywhere I can. And in the meantime, let's see what we're going to listen to on the way out. Ah, the ambiance of the bowling alley. Who doesn't like that? That's kind of comforting in a strange kind of southern way. Here we go. Ah, time to go get a grilled cheese or a pickle. Now that we're in the lanes. Well, thank you for joining me this morning. Thanks for coming to the skate patch. Safe place. Get away from your self-delusions and our collective illusions. If you have a story that you'd like to submit, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to have you on board. And it's always fun to have new stories and poems to go about. Of course, we're not the moth, but we are fun. Till next time. Stay out of trouble and remember, what happens to one of us affects all of us. Quick, get that lane over there before they dang it.